welcome to another episode of the Grain It List Live, where we discuss all things human capital related. I'm Lee Dill. And I'm Sally Pace. And today we are joined by Stefan Welch. Stefan, I'm going to have you introduce yourself to our audience, please. Stefan Welch, Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for the Detroit Pistons. So excited to have you on our show today. We are live from the DEI conference in Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm going to let Sally tell you a little bit more about it. Yes, we are so excited that this second annual DEI summit has been held in Memphis. It is a gathering of all the brightest, most talented folks in the industry. Certainly some of the most recognizable brands have been gathered here, along with a lot of what was exciting to me is to see a lot of startup organizations, but that is not what we're talking about today, especially since you're on our home turf and happen to be playing a game against <laughs> the Pistons versus the Grizzlies. You know, you're, you're a brand that people know, but Stefan, let's start by talking about your role within the Detroit Pistons franchise. One, let me say thank you for allowing me to be a part of this amazing podcast. I love the concept behind it and what you all are doing. So kudos to you on this one year of a great initiative. My role with the Detroit Pistons literally is to focus on the work that we do externally and internally that touches diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's literally everything, right? How we show up, how we engage, how we teach, how we develop, right? Our focus is always going to be on our people and the communities that we serve. So when we look at diversity, equity, and inclusion, what that means to the Pistons is, one, you're always going to hear us talking about leaning on the side of humanity. If you're going to make us choose, we're going to choose humanity. So we always say Pistons power humanity. That's our mantra. But then also... One of the things that we're really big on within our organization is creating like this DEI ecosystem. That focuses on engaging, developing, and retaining our talent. Definitely want to make sure that folks who are with our organization are able to learn, are able to grow, are able to have a voice. We know through data that has been done by some very smart people in the talent space that when folks are engaged, when they feel as though that they have a voice, when they feel as though that they can come and be their authentic selves, 70% of the time they're going to stay within that organization versus their counterparts who are not engaged, who don't have a voice, right? And so that makes business sense. So like I said, we want to focus on the engagement, the development, and the retention of our people to lower attrition. And then also what we're focused on is attracting and acquiring diverse talent. You notice I said acquiring. Many organizations often talk about the attraction piece. Not only do we want to be attractive, but we also want to acquire that diverse talent, right? We're going to be extremely bullish on that. And then also one of the things that we want to look at, we do a very great job of supporting local businesses and local vendors, but we don't necessarily track it the way that I think we could track it. And so we want to make sure not only are we tracking it, but we continue to utilize minority and underrepresented and historically excluded vendors and suppliers and partners. The sports industry really is different because from the outside looking in, you don't necessarily see it as a non-diverse grouping because you look at the majority of the athletes out there, mm -hmm. really, and who we're talking about in the DEI space. Right. Tell us a little bit about being in the sports industry, what kind of communication plan you're pulling together and education opportunities that really is unique to the sports industry. Yeah, as fans, we often forget about the fact that at the end of the day, a sports franchise is a business, right? And so what does the business look like, not only on the field or the court, but in other spaces within the sports world, but what does it look like beyond that as well? What do our marketing teams look like? What does our HR team look like? What does player development, that staff look like, right? And so 
one of the things that I'm very proud of within the organization is that you look around, you see a lot of diversity on multiple levels. And so one of the things that we want to make sure that we do when we have diverse team members as well as staff is that we're always providing an opportunity to raise awareness, right? We should always be raising our level of awareness. And what that means is that we're going to find ways to make sure that people are able to upskill. We're going to make sure people feel supported and have the resources to really thrive in the, in the organization, right? So, you know, making sure that bias doesn't seep into the decision-making process. We all have bias. We know it's been proven, right? And so we have to make sure that that we educate ourselves to make sure, like I said, that doesn't seep into the hiring process. Many sports organizations, when you look around within their organizations, you don't typically see a lot of diversity. That's why you have so many folks within the space in multiple levels and multiple industries, right? And so that's what we want to make sure we're doing. We want to make sure that we're creating equitable opportunities, we're creating inclusive opportunities, and we're creating an opportunity where folks who come from diverse backgrounds really are able to thrive. We know that when an organization, whether it's a sports franchise or a Fortune 500 business, we know that organizations who are more diverse outcompete their competitors who are not. I think the percentage is around like 37%. And so in a business that's all about competitiveness, we want to utilize that. DI is a new topic mm. and it's a buzzword right now, but it's really cool to see all the people that are here that have the title of a DEI leader. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about you and how you got to the role that you're in and how the Detroit Pistons really saw a need for what you're doing. I love talking about the stories. There was a time in my life when I didn't talk about it, then I realized it was empowering to share the story. And so very early on in my career, I was doing very well. I was very young though. And so I was presented with an opportunity to take on a promotion and, and I decided Actually, let me even go further back. I've often said to people, I believe I'm a product of my environment, right? Growing up, I watched my grandmother working at an NAACP office in Michigan, right? Or I saw Nelson Mandela speak literally as a little kid at Tiger Stadium once he was released from captivity. And then also I was a kid who in college was the president of the Association of Black Students. I've, I've always been talking about this stuff. I just didn't know it was a profession. I marched in Washington, D.C. for affirmative action as a student in college. I have a master's degree in community development. So there's literally been these moments and these breadcrumbs that led to where I am today. But there was one pivotal moment in my life that really cemented this work for me. Like I was stating earlier during the conference and the summit, there was an opportunity that I was presented with for a promotion. And I turned down originally the first promotion. I, I didn't want to do it. I was comfortable. I was doing good. Why change what's working, right? And so the VP that offered it to me, he said, okay, you know, we'll come back at another time if you want it. But a few weeks later, the same type of opportunity in a different space. He said, Stefan, we really want to promote you. We think you're a change agent. We think you're doing some great work. You've come in and hit the ground running. I hadn't even been at the organization a year yet. So there was a little bit of imposter syndrome too. Like, do I even deserve this? And so I eventually said yes. And I said yes, because I knew if I said no again, more than likely he wasn't going to ask me to take on another opportunity. So I took it. And I knew I was leaving from a place in space where I was one of many to a place where I was going to be the only, right? I knew that. I get it. I've been in undergrad where the, you know, the population of student, black students were 7%. I got it. I sort of knew how to navigate that space. I thought I did. And so when I started the role, I was greeted, I was welcomed, but within a few days, I noticed there was a vibe that really just didn't mesh with who I am and who I was at the time. I noticed a lot of comments being stated to me, some of them being 
microaggressive, many of them being macroaggressive. And it really started to take a toll on me. However, I still wanted to do great work and still did my job very well, surpassing goals and putting us in a place where we're doing well financially as an organization. And so one day it just really got on me. I was tired of the, the aggressive behavior. I was tired of many of the things that were not necessarily sensitive to, you know, the world that we were in. I remember, you know, someone coming in that was mocked because they were going through their transition from being a man to a woman. And I stood up for that person. And then I was just like, you know, what? I'm just tired of this stuff. And so I said, you know what? I'm only going to answer with yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. And someone across from me, a leadership, a Caucasian woman, she she looked at me and she pointed and she said, in a very slave-like stereotypical dialect, you mean yes, a massa. And I was extremely hurt and I was angered by that. And I wanted to respond, but I knew if I responded, it would be a trap. I would be seen as the aggressor. So prior to this going on, I was reaching out to HR saying, hey, I think we need some training. There's some things going on that just aren't great within our organization that we need to really get to the bottom of. And HR would thank me and say, thank you for, you know, sharing that with us. We've heard that there's an issue there. And so instead of me responding the way I wanted to, in fear of being seen as the aggressor, I decided to comprise a report and send it off to HR. Two days later, I was walked out the building with boxes. To this day, I hate boxes. I don't like carrying boxes. It was a very traumatizing and embarrassing experience. Not only are my colleagues seeing me walk out the building with boxes, but also customers as well. And so as I'm being let go, I'm saying to the person that I have been reaching out to in HR, like, how are you allowing this to happen? I told you everything that was going on. I've done my job extremely well. Like, why is this happening to me? And the person in HR who was very, you know, high up in the organization, she said, my job is to protect the business, not to protect you. Now, I never heard that before in my life. Mind you, we're going to fast forward really quick. I was told that I wasn't being fired. We we're just going to go in different directions. But when I did my research, in my file, it said I had been let go for poor performance. And so this is at a time as well when the economic status within our country was not doing very well. So I had rent, I had a car note, I was still young, only a few years out of college, and it took a toll on me psychologically. Even before then, I was frustrated, I was angry, I was embarrassed, I felt like a failure. As a black man, I even put more pressure on myself. And I remember being at the top of my parking structure where I was living at the time, and I remember saying, I can't take this anymore. And I had my hands on the steering wheel, and I just wanted to hit the accelerator and just go. And luckily, I got a call from my dad. And so it was at that moment that I said, after I talked to my dad, I will never work for an organization that doesn't celebrate and champion diversity and difference. And so that's when I started to go into work into making sure folks in marginalized communities had health care. Then I went into the, the aging and developmental disability space. And then I went into community development. And the rest is history. I got tapped when I was at a mortgage company in Detroit, a very large one. And someone says, Stefan, we want you to do this work. I need to build a team and I need, I need a strategy. I need your help. And I said, that's exactly why I'm here. Let's do it. And the rest is history. I love your story. I mean, I hate your story, but I love it. And I think that there are so many people in our country that can relate to some of the conditions that you experienced, some of the biases that you've experienced. You've also had experience working with the marginalized in healthcare, you just mm -hmm. said. And we know that 40% almost of the working population in the United States is considered working poor. Mm -hmm. Now you're on the other side of the table. The script has been flipped mm -hmm. and you're in a position where you can do something about it. So 
it's still so surreal to me because I think as an avid sports enthusiast, we forget that, like you said, you're running a business. It is a corporation, for lack of a better term, that happens to also provide entertainment. But from the business perspective, talk through some of the things that are either personal goals of yours or corporate goals as you look at how to flip that script and how to make sure everyone is heard. Yeah, everything that we consider and build out, especially from a DEI standpoint, is in the voice of our employees and in the voice of our staffs, right? And so we ask for feedback. I learned a few years ago the saying that feedback is a gift. And so our staff will often hear me say that, as well as our leadership. They're also adapting that same phrase, right? So they're hearing that from multiple leaders within our organization. We always want to hear, hear their feedback, and we want to utilize the feedback the best way that we can. I went through that horrible experience because I think it was meant for me to go through it because this is ultimately what I'm making to do, right? And for me to fully appreciate what I do, I had to go through that experience. It was a horrible experience. But now I make sure that that doesn't go on in any organization that I represent. I tell our people all the time, I'm here to serve you. I'm a servant leader, right? I call our interns. I call our entry-level staff. I call our junior staff. I call them boss because I represent them, right? And I work on their behalf. So the goals that we have literally are set forth by our employees. You know, whether if it is literally a phenomenal story. I was having a meeting with one of our leaders in our women's ERG group, Power, Pistons Women and Resources. And you like that, right? I did. Yeah, I mean, you, not the Pistons part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I was having a conversation with one of our leaders within that group. And she said, you know, Steph, I'm getting to a point in my life where I'm considering, okay, what's my next step from a personal standpoint? And, you know, do I want to have kids? And if I have kids, am I at an age where it might not necessarily be something that I should or should not consider just by being, you know, a woman and things that women go through? And I said, hey, I know you're sharing some great feedback, but there's something that we're working on right now. We're not, we haven't even announced it yet, but I want you to know that this is happening. And so at the time we had announced it, it's now been announced to our team, but I said, we are going to be working with an organization called Progeny. And Progeny, as you all may know, is a fertility company, right? And, and as we talked about that journey and what that means, and I could see her face light up as we start to talk about it. I know friends that are going through their fertility journey right now, and they're, they're having a tough time. And they don't necessarily have the resources. Their organizations aren't providing those type of resources. And for us as a sports team, that's typically dominated by males, right? What does that say to the talent, not only that we have, but the talent that we want? Once again, we have to, any organization should always be leaning in the space of what the feedback that you're getting, right? And the feedback that we got is that from our women, we need to think about more resources and benefits that are available for them. And so it's an honor to work on their behalf and do that work and provide this as a benefit and a resource because we've already received some amazing feedback just on the excitement of it. It starts in January, so we're looking forward to really getting engaged in that space. As we close out the show, we like to look into the future and think about what we all can collectively do to move the needle, knowing that obviously DEI work is intimately ingrained in the work of human capital and employee benefits. What advice, what information, what thoughts do you have to share about where you see the future of DEI work? I think the future of DEI work is going to be in a place and space where I hope we are more comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations and not only having uncomfortable conversations, being comfortable with, with having those, but utilizing the information that is shared within those conversations. 
The days of shutting off the outside world when you come into the office are now gone. People want to hear from their CEOs. Edelman did a study, and I think it was like over 70% of the people who have CEOs want to hear from their CEOs when it comes to things like injustice and what's going on in the world, right? People are now voting with their feet when it comes to the places and spaces that they work, right? And if organizations aren't going to be tapped into leaning on the side of humanity, empowering humanity, like we said, you're going to lose that talent. So one, do it authentically, continue to listen and do something with it. And so I think that's the place and space where we're going from a DEI standpoint. I think many organizations are still moving the needle uh, in that. And there's a number of organizations that need to probably be a little bit more proactive in that space. However, utilizing DEI and everything that we do, baking it into everything that we, that we do in our organizations has to be at the forefront. Because if we don't, we will have more mistakes and we will lose more people. Do you think that eventually we will get to a place where having those difficult conversations is commonplace and normal and your role will eventually go away? Or do you think this is something that's always going to be here to stay? That's a good question. I used to say at one point, my goal is to work myself out of a job. That's ultimately what I want to do. I don't want organizations to have to need me. I want us to be educated enough and proactive enough to do the right thing. However, human beings are human beings at the end of the day. We're going to make mistakes. And that's totally fine. As I tell our people, there may be times when we make a mistake. I'm okay with that. Humans make mistakes. But doesn't mean that we shouldn't, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't always be working in the spirit of doing the right thing. And when you do that and your people see you doing that, then you built that credibility, right? And then also with DEI work, last thing I want to share, or maybe one of the last few things I share, because this is a great conversation I can talk all day, is that even if you're doing phenomenal work, if the people within your organization don't know, it's not happening. I'll never forget being at an organization where we were doing some phenomenal work in the DEI space. And there was a new hire that had just started working and she met me and she said, hey, I asked in my interview in my recruitment process what the company was doing in the DEI space, and I really couldn't get an answer. I was like, really? Who's your recruiter? And I'm thinking to myself, this can't be true. And she said the recruiter, I was like, wait, I literally work like 30 feet away from this person. They couldn't give you an answer? And instead of me pointing the finger and saying, you need to know more, I realized we have to do a better job of communicating what is going on. Everybody, in my first day at the Pistons, when I addressed the organization, I said, <laughs> and I asked, if you're on the DEI team, raise your hand. And a couple people raised their hand, but a few, most people were looking around like, dude, that's you. <laughs> and I said, no, that's all of us. We all are charged with making sure that our organization is driving diverse, equitable, and inclusive strategies and priorities, right? And if we do that, we will be a better organization. It's like, it's not just the DEI person's role to talk about DEI. That's, that's not going to work. There are certain places that where I'm not going to be. There are certain places where you're not going to be. We all have to speak up about it. And so I tell people there are four ways that we can make sure that we are driving our organization uh, to be an inclusive culture. There's one, we have to assess what's going on, looking around and see what's going on in the organization when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, what we see, what we don't see. The next thing is that we have to communicate what we assessed, right? If there aren't things going on that meet what we're trying to get to, our, our goals, the conversations that we're trying to have, how we lead as leaders that don't connect with diversity, equity, and inclusion, we have to talk about that. 
The third thing is that we have to role model the behavior that we're asking for when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the fourth thing is that we have to hold each other accountable. We have to reinforce it. Like I said, if I'm not leading in a place and space with a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens, someone else should be able to feel empowered to say, hey, Steph, that wasn't the most inclusive process. Let's talk about this, right? It's not just my role. It's all of our role. So if organizations can get to that point, we'll we'll see some better outcomes. Well, I'm with you. I could keep this conversation going all day, but we're going to call it quits. What I will say is that these past couple of days have certainly been just a, a wellspring of both information and encouragement. And I can't thank you enough for sharing your story, both on the stage and then again here with our listeners. And for those of you who are listening and you're with an organization, either you're in the HR space or you're an advisor and you're looking for ways to help jumpstart these conversations or take them 10 steps further, we hope that you will turn to the Granite List. We have a whole bevy of wonderful organizations and solutions and change-making opportunities on the site that speak to how to make your organization more diverse, more inclusive, and certainly more equitable. So, Stefan, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Go Pistons. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Granite List Live. Access our entire library by visiting your favorite podcast venue or subscribe on our site, thegranitelist.live.